Hello, and welcome to this episode of Not a Lady, a Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman podcast. My name is Kelly. And I'm Sarah. And this is episode three of season one, The Visitor. This episode was directed by Victoria Hochberg. Hotchberg, I'm not really sure how to pronounce her last name, which is super cool. This is our first female director in the show. And after Dr. Quinn, she would go on to direct episodes of Touched by an Angel. Do you remember that show? Oh, wow, yeah. And also the famous, but I've never watched it, the Sex in the City. The writer was Kathleen Young. Not Beth Sullivan. Shocking. Yeah, not Beth Sullivan. And what's interesting is... Kathleen Young actually had come off of just writing a MacGyver episode prior to this. Also, we love MacGyver. That's another, like, show we grew up on, actually. We love MacGyver. That's why I thought it was important to mention. (laughs) And this episode aired on Saturday, January 9th, 1993, about a week after the pilot episode first The first two. Yeah. Nice. And we start out with... Brian running through uh, a field. Actually, this is so cute. And also, I'm like, doesn't the stagecoach come pretty regularly? Why is this such a big deal? But actually, I guess it doesn't. No, I know why. I'm so glad you brought this up. Because my first thought was, I bet that this is the first stagecoach to come since they stopped the stagecoach for the epidemic in the last episode. Influenza. That is true. I did not think about that. So I think that's why they were so excited, because that was the first one. And it would make sense, because we know that they sent the telegram to Dr. Quinn's family in the last episode. Right. Yeah, that's that's very true. And obviously, everybody's, like, very excited to be getting stuff, so that makes sense. Because I'm like, I mean, it's just supplies, like... But it's very... Brian is so cute. It's like, the stagecoach. But actually, before this, we see Dr. Quinn in the clinic, and she's interacting with Emily. We kind of have seen Emily a few times now. Um, I'm, I'm happy that Emily's coming to see Dr. Quinn, but I think basically she tells Emily that she's anemic, which for those that don't know, anemia just means that, um, you have a shortage of hemoglobin, which is basically a type of red blood cell that carries oxygen in your blood and you need iron for the hemoglobin to be able to carry that oxygen. So without it, it leads to a lack of oxygen in your organs, which obviously can be very detrimental. There are a lot of different types of anemia. I didn't know that. And then we got in school and we were talking about all these different types of anemia. What's interesting is she basically, she being Dr. Quinn, says boil water with some rusty nails and then drink the rusty nail water, which is, Emily's like, uh, what? And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Because (laughs) I had a really hard time finding information on this because everything I searched, it would, like, bring up, like, Tumblr or Wikipedia, like, wiki pages for Dr. Quinn. (laughs) And I was like, okay, this is, like, a real thing, though. But I think it was something that they did do, not something that people would advise today, obviously. (laughs) So iron in your water is not necessarily dangerous. In fact, mostly iron affects appliances. Like, that's where you get those, like, red, brown stains like on like water appliances, like faucets and stuff is from that iron being oxidized. So it's not necessarily dangerous, but obviously that's not something they would tell you to do today. You can take iron supplements, which are like very refined iron, like tablets of iron, which is way safer than what she's saying. But 
At this point in time, I'm not really sure if those kind of iron supplements are a thing. They're obviously not. They're obviously not. So her solution is if you, if somebody needs iron, then that's the way that she knows that they can get it. But obviously not something we would ever tell patients to do today. Would a person be at risk of like getting tetanus or something from drinking um, rusty Probably water? not because tetanus... I guess if it's Yes, boiled. but tetanus, tetanus is... It depends where the nails came from because tetanus is actually something that's not... It's found in the ground, in the soil and stuff, so that's where that normally comes from. It's not necessarily the, the rust huh. part. But that is, a, I mean, a very serious bacteria. But no, I don't think that would happen. But it's just different today how there are a lot of... Like I said, because there's a lot of different types of anemias, there's a lot of ways that we treat it, which can be anywhere from... IV fluids, pain relievers, oxygens, but a lot of people get blood transfusions, folic acid supplements, things like that. So, I mean, again, this is not really a treatment, but it's a way for Emily to get more iron. And I guess that's, that worked for them. But I mean, it at least shows that they know. Right. I mean, they do know that at this point, which is true. That's, that's, that's a good point because at this point we know that like they didn't know a lot about viruses. They still don't know a lot about germs. So they, they do know at least what anemia is. I actually know what anemia is, which is, I want to say that, because, like, most of the time, I don't know what things are. <laughs> I Basically, I just want to redeem myself after not knowing that influenza was the flu. Did we tell the listeners that? Did we tell the listeners that? Yeah. Well, you didn't <laughs> use my name, but, yeah, you, you told them. Um, and if they didn't catch it in your subtle not using my name, <laughs> yes, it was me. Um, and I went and asked all my friends if they knew that, and yeah. everyone knew. <laughs> All that being said, the way that I learned about anemia, actually, is I had a friend in high school. You know how in high school they do, like, blood drives? And everyone wants to do it, basically, because you get out of class and you get snacks. I mean, yes. (laughs) And sometimes you get a free t-shirt. But anyway, I went with my friend Chelsea to, we both went to give blood. And, you know, they, like, I guess, I don't remember if they, like, prick your they, finger or something. They prick your finger, yep. Yeah, and um, Chelsea got her finger pricked, and basically, based on her iron levels, they were like, you don't need to be giving blood, you need to be getting blood. And that's how she found out that she was anemic. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, crazy. women have much lower levels of iron, and this has happened, before, not with me, I normally don't have an issue, but I just went with a friend a couple weeks ago, and her iron was she normally can't give because it's too low and it was just above. So yeah, that's good that you know that. Like I said, there's a lot of different types of anemia, but it all has to do with that hemoglobin. You need iron to be able to carry oxygen. So Hmm. anyway, so as I said, that was right before. And then we kind of switched to the stagecoach coming. Basically, here's the whole part of the visitor because... Well, actually, so I want to jump in here because... I like picking out the most minuscule things and being like, I want to know the history behind this. So Horace, they, they, Lauren goes, goes, Horace, there's a book you ordered. And he said, and then he reads the title, The Mystery of Love. And Horace (laughs) goes, oh, that must be a mistake. I ordered Moby Moby Dick. Dick. Which I, first of all, I think that's hilarious that. Maybe that's considered the most manly book. Of I know, that era. right? Of all books, Moby Dick. So here's the thing: I'm like, I want to look up. So I, I, I'm an English teacher, right? And so I'm like, I want to look up this mystery of love book. And so I could not find any books titled the mystery of love. Um, I found books titled the mystery of love, but they were like released in the 2000s. So then I type, I like typed in like 1800s. 
And I found a book that was published in 1880 by M. Young. And this is the, I believe this is the book that they were referring to, mm-hmm. but they didn't read the full title of the book. Oh, and no. So I, I want to read the full title of the book because I was like, this is really funny. And I'm like, maybe that's why Lauren stopped reading the title. The full title of this book published in 1880, which mind you, uh, if we're talking, we've been saying we estimate this is taking place in the 1860s. I don't know that this quite fits with their timeline. But anyway, that's beside the point. The full title of this book I found was The Mystery of Love Making Solved or An Easy Road to Marriage. <laughs> oh, gosh. <sighs> now, I, I, did, I started doing some research on this book, and I really feel that this book... We sh- I want to read you, like, the blurb on the back of this book. <laughs> you because- went so in-depth with this. <laughs> no, it, cra- it just cracked me up. The The blurb of this book just make- made me laugh when I'm thinking about the people who were reading this in, you know, the early 1900s or whatever. Okay, so this is, this is the blurb of the book. Herein lies a treatise on love, courtship, and marriage from 1880. Today's reader will appreciate the timeless relationship advice from early courtship to planning the wedding and starting the journey of life together. The mystery of lovemaking solved will delight all who seek their heart's companion. The gentleman, we will take it for granted then that a gentleman has in one way or another become fascinated by a fair lady, possibly a recent acquaintance whom he is most anxious to know more particularly. His heart already feels the touch of love, and his most ardent wish is to have that love returned. Wow. <laughs> and, then, and then it says, the lady. A lady should be particular during the early days of courtship while still retaining some clearness of mental vision to observe the manner in which her suitor comports himself. (laughs) Wow, it just sounds so, like, fake it's wild, actually. No, but doesn't it sound like just, if Horace read that and was like, oh, this is, I I have a recent acquaintance (laughs) and I want to feel that loved returned. That's true, but imagine Um, how mortified he would have been if they read the full title. (laughs) I know, right? I'm like, I think this is one of those times that they edited it for Dr. Quinn audiences. Yeah. And then what's interesting is is Moby Dick would have been a book that was, it was published in 1851 by Herman Melville. What is interesting, though, that I read about is that in Melville's lifetime in America, this book was not that popular, actually, during his lifetime. In fact, uh, in his lifetime, only 3,200 copies of the book were sold. Hmm. Which, if you keep in mind that not a lot of people, I think, could afford books. Right. That probably explains it, but I, like, read that there was this whole article on how this one American author, or not author, it was a newspaper article this guy was reviewing Moby Dick and he said that it was not worth the $1.50 cost 
I, I studied Moby Dick like a little bit when in college and all I remember about studying Moby Dick was that my professor, Dr. Sepko was like, basically you could read every other chapter of Moby Dick and still know what's happening because <laughs> Melville spends so long describing every tiny little detail about the process of whaling and being at sea. Right. The, the actual plot moves so slowly. It's like a 700 page book. Anyway, there is my literary nerd out. <laughs> we can we can now move on. That's really funny though. To Elizabeth Quinn's Elizabeth arrival. Elizabeth Quinn, which is, it's just so funny because I feel like Dr. Quinn could have seemed more shocked because literally her mother just came all the way across the country. I just think about having to do that on a stagecoach. Like that's kind of insane. Um, but basically she explains, like, after Dr. Quinn's like, mother, what are you doing here? She's like, I got this telegram saying that you were on death's door. Like, what do you expect me to do? Which at this point, Dr. Quinn still didn't know about. I guess Matthew hadn't told her. So he's like, we didn't know, like, what was going to happen. So it's just kind of bringing me back to the first episode of this moment of, like, you know, she's all dressed up. She's very fancy. Obviously doesn't fit in. Yeah, actually, I, I think... That's really awesome that you pointed that out, because I noticed that, too. It was, like, almost shot for shot, mm. Dr. Mike's arrival in Colorado Springs, too. Like, from her coming out with her hat and kind of, like, looking around. and. Just, but how yeah. cool is it at this point, like, Dr. Mike is a prominent part of society, doesn't look like she doesn't fit, like, she looks like she does fit in. And, you know, just confidently is already saying, like, we don't have a hotel, but you can stay with us, like... And it's cute. You know, the boys are like, we're going to go swim in the creek if you want to come. <laughs> She's like, um, I think I'll pass. And we should point out that Elizabeth Quinn in this episode is played by Jane Wyman, who uh, was not the same actress that we saw in the pilot episode. So right after this, we get the intro and then they're in town and there's this beautiful shot of Elizabeth Quinn and Brian sitting in the, I guess, the waiting room oh, of yeah. the clinic, and there's this giant pig. Very big. Like, that's not just, like, a... That's, like, massive. Can we and talk I'm also, about like... They I, never really actually explain why the pig's there, either. No, and it's kind of, like... I'm, like, I even feel like Dr. Quinn would have been, like, this is probably not sanitary, but... Well, my my thought was, because later, I'm, I'm gonna jump... Later, she said, uh... Elizabeth says something about like the way these people pay you in, in pigs potatoes and, potatoes. and chickens. Or, yeah. yeah, and I was like, so maybe that was someone's payment. I was like, or maybe that was uh, someone got hurt walking through town with their pig. <laughs> that's that's like a year's payment. That's a big payment. <laughs> yeah. No, I I actually don't hate that they uh, don't explain the pig. There's yeah. just a pig in the it's, clinic. Okay. It is funny. And she decides to go for a walk outside. Where we see kind of this first little, like, it's not even a fight, though. Like, it's just Hank and Horace arguing over how much it costs for Myra. Horace to spend time with Myra. And he's like, I just want to talk to her. And he's like, I don't care what you want to do. It still costs five bucks. Which is a lot. It's so much. I mean, what did we say? A dollar was 30? Yeah. US, like, And, today? I mean, think about that. You're paying a dollar for a month's rent. Like... Yeah. That's five months rent in who knows how much time you actually get with her anyway. Like, that's yeah. insane. Yeah. But, like, they're not even really, like, 
going into it. Like, Hank's just being himself. But I think we see this, like, my first thought when, when Elizabeth Quinn is like, don't you know, you could just talk about, it, like, civilized people. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's her her daughter's mother or whatever. Like, yeah. you know, that she just a little bit sticks her nose and is like, come on, be civilized. I think it's literally just there for kind of this, oh, okay, you know, we get all... And we'll see this more, like, maybe Michaela isn't only her father's daughter, true. right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I think it just, like, is there to prove the point that she still thinks she's better than everyone and is, like... Civilized people wouldn't argue over stuff, like, At least not in the street. Well, probably not in the middle of the street, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So then they, they're traveling to the homestead, and, you know, she's kind of updating Dr. Mike on her life, which, honestly, like, when we're listening, I think we're meant to be like, wow, her life is kind of boring. But again, this show just throws in these little historical things that I bet if you didn't really care or weren't me, you probably wouldn't notice, but she says something about they're hoping to, um, to build, like, a new wing for the ladies' society or something, and Elizabeth says, we hope that Alexander Parrish will be our architect, which I heard that, and I was like, who's that? Like, are... I think we're supposed to know who that is, so I googled him, because I don't know who he is. Um, and Alexander Parrish was alive from 1780 to 1852, which again, if we're going 1860s, technically he died before this happened. But what's interesting, though, is he is very well-renowned for being one of Boston's most influential architects. And there are tons of churches, monuments... He worked for 20 years in the Boston Navy Yard, and his most famous works were building stone lighthouses along the northeastern coast. So, which I was just like, what an interesting, like, no one probably would know that, but what, unless you're maybe from Boston or something, but I was like, what an interesting thing to, like, throw in there that a Bostonian maybe would really appreciate by knowing, oh, I know who that is. That's that guy that built, like, all that stuff in our town. That's really funny because when I heard it, my mind went to Alex Parrish, which is the name of Priyanka Chopra's character in Quantico. (laughs) Wow. We're very different. That is, like, pure example right there. You're like, let me look this historical person up. I'm like, ha ha, Priyanka Chopra. I also think we kind of went over the fact that she's, like, I think we kind of just to backtrack a little bit, Brian's basically like, does that make you my grandma? And she's like, sorry, Michaela, what are they talking oh, about? Yeah. And she's like, um, these are my children. And she's like, I asked for your advice on child rearing and you never gave it. So I don't know why you're acting surprised. Um, yeah, that's true. And, and actually you can kind of feel the little bit of like resentment in Dr. Mike just being like, oh yeah, I wasn't just asking that. So you could be a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but then you're also like, wow, her mom just came all the way across the country without any knowledge of the fact that she's been, like... Living this whole other life. This crazy different life, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what she did imagine, though, because she seems awfully surprised when they arrive at the house, and she's like, you actually live here? (laughs) Yes, mother. Imagine she... By the time she got the telegram, and then all the time it took her to get out there, like, Dr. Quinn could have been, like, dead for months. Like That's true. You know? It's kind of wild that she... It's, I think it's a very big deal that she did that because... You know, that's a good point because... And she doesn't act like that. She doesn't <laughs> act like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're not dead. <laughs> like, 
instead it's like, what are you doing here, mother? And she's like, well, I thought you were dying. Yeah, yeah. But they do get to the homestead. Which the remark is, how quaint. Right, which is basically like, what a dump. (laughs) Yeah. And then, um, yeah, that's when Matthew and Brian invite her to go swimming. And I don't know, there's there's a moment where, like, she kind of gives a look and Dr. Quinn perceives that it's her being the Nazi police where he's like, Brian and me. And then Mike is like, Brian and I. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Because she's from Boston. Yeah, I think she's trying to make it look like her children aren't savages, but really, it's not like she would correct them if her mother wasn't there. Well, so. we do we do get her using that line. Oh that yeah, word we'll talk later. about that later. <laughs> we will talk about that later. I have feelings. And then I thought finally we got over in the last episode. We got over a Moody Colleen, but nope, Moody Colleen is back, which I guess basically which... is is supposed to be a PMSing Colleen, but <laughs> I was but I'm just... like. That's so rude. I was literally just about to say, but she has a good reason, okay? <laughs> because I didn't make that connection till later, and I was like, oh, hmm, but it's this kind explains of like, a lot. Wait, we just did this whole episode where she was moody. Why is she moody again? Yeah. But and unfortunately, she'll kind of stay moody basically for the rest of the episode. But then the transition. What did you think about? When Elizabeth and Dr. Mike are sitting on the porch and Elizabeth asks her, like, are you actually going to keep these children? Like, what did you think about that? I mean, I think, like, she does not have full grasp of the situation. Like, she's already had these children for a prolonged period of time. Like, they call her Ma. Like, you know, at least Brian does. Like, they have this kind of relationship. And, like, I don't know. I thought it was kind of, like, surprising because, like, what is she... What are the other options at this point? Like, what option is she think she's just going to, like, put them in an orphanage? Well, they don't have yeah, one. Like, I mean, what's going to happen? I think that was my thing, is I'm like, what? She just, yeah, like, I, and I guess you're right, like, she doesn't have a full grasp, because then Dr. Mike actually tells her, like, I made a promise, and she's like, wait, you made a, prom- a promise? To a like stranger? That? Just, yeah, to someone you just met. And so I think you're you make a good point because I was like that's so, like that's such a rude question like if someone adopted a kid even if you didn't know would you be like are you gonna actually keep it <laughs> like they just told you they're keeping the kid like I don't know but then yeah maybe you're right because she didn't know the circumstances of having these children so maybe she's she... still adjusting to it yeah but I I did like the line. Because I think we had the conversation about, like, the friendship between Dr. Mike and Charlotte. Like, was it really earned? And I think the line here where she says, you know, you can have a friendship with some women where you feel like you've known them your whole life. And I think that that's a really nice, like, uh, it feels like a nicely tied bow on the whole relationship where we're, we're like, it did happen so fast. But actually, like, when you explain it that way, yeah, it just makes sense. Yeah. And, I and think then it's paralleled, too, with being, like, you can also know someone your whole life and be totally strangers, which we get the hint that that's total their burn. relation. Yeah, yeah, their relationship. Total what, burn. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, like, I, I could be wrong, but I feel like everybody can kind of relate to that friendship that you have of, like, someone you feel like you just met, but you feel like you've just known them forever and you're really close and then the same thing, people you maybe knew in your childhood that you see later as an adult and you're like, this is so awkward, like, I don't... So, yeah, I think everyone, it's relatable. 
There is a quick scene at the homestead in which Colleen brings, she brings Elizabeth a towel and we kind of see the fact that Elizabeth has a very nice vanity set. Probably something that Colleen is not familiar to seeing and definitely has never owned. You know, and it's kind of like, don't touch it. This is like a family heirloom, like a very special gift. Um, but it's just an obvious moment where like Colleen really likes it. And, and I think it's just a way to show that she's not used to nice things like that. She's not used to a lot of women. <laughs> That's true. Or like, like girly, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, sh- they live on the frontier. What do you expect? Yeah. Um, and then we transition into the next scene, which we are back in town. And Dr. Quinn invites her mother to come to the clinic to her, which to me, I'm like, yes, I would. Okay, obviously I'd be all over that. But like, <laughs> I don't know, even like um, when Sarah was living in China, like I actually got to go to China and it was like, I got to go to school with you. And like, I think it's cool getting to see like your family do their job and interact with people in a different way than they interact with you. Two things. I think one, like you said earlier, she thinks she's above it. Yeah. Two, she was married to a doctor her whole life. So maybe <laughs> she's over all that. <laughs> and I flash back to the pilot where, you know, there's that scene with her, her mother basically is like, you know, your father filled your head with ideas. You can't be a real, you're not a real doctor. You can't have yep. real patients. So yep. she's still not supportive of it. So Elizabeth goes walking around town, and who does she find except <laughs> one and only? I almost said Orson Bean. I mean, it is Orson Bean, but it's Lauren Bray. <laughs> Lauren Bray. And this is just so... It's, like, funny to me because Lauren is such a, a weird character because sometimes he's, like, so, like, harsh and brash and just, like... like He's a Western Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> yeah, he's just a cranky old man, you know? And then we see other times him with Brian or, or like, other... And he can be kind of softer. But he basically, you know... Turns but, his flirt on. Literally. <laughs> and um, with Elizabeth. It's just so funny to me because I'm, like, of all people... Um, you know, and there's this moment that we were laughing about where he's like, what should I call you? Betsy? Betty? Lizzie? <laughs> what do your friends call you? And she's like, my friends call me Elizabeth. And then she, like, walks off and it's like, he's still, like, looking at her like she's, you know, has a yeah. gold in her eye or something. So, um, Well, I think also he actually asks her, like, are you going to take that headstrong daughter of yours oh, back yeah. to Boston? And she's like, frankly, I don't think that's any of your business. <laughs> Which is also uh, surprising because you know in her head she's like, that's the plan. <laughs> yeah. And then we get, um, which we kind of jumped over it, but another passenger. Passenger? Another, yeah, passenger was on that stagecoach that brought Elizabeth. And that was good old Jedediah Bancroft from the First National Bank of Denver. Who's played, <laughs> Who's played by George Firth. And actually, George Firth is a little bit of a king of guest starring. He has guest starred on shows like Murder, She Wrote, Little House on the Prairie, Happy Days, and Bonanza. Basically, all of TV land. (laughs) Well, he's like old. But I was like, that's so funny. Like, we've seen all those shows. We love all those shows. he's been guest stars in multiple episodes of all of them, basically. Didn't, didn't know that. He is here because he is about to put the cl- clinic, or as we've started calling the clinic, but it's basically the boarding house, Charlotte's boarding house, up for auction. And he kind of tells Dr. Mike, you need to get out of here. Which, this was very interesting to me because, like, I just started watching the episode and I'm like, oh yeah, they're at the clinic. 
But there is this moment of the last episode, right? Of like, she wants to use the boarding house and everybody's against it and they do it. But it's always kind of with the intent of like, this is because there's an epidemic going on like this. Right. But like, she does, I guess, keep that space. And I'm surprised nobody's like, like even the reverend in the last episode was like, uh, that belongs to the bank. So like, maybe let's not break yeah. the law. So maybe because they saw the the necessity for of it, sure, but like, right? and no, and no one's using it. I just like totally forgot. <laughs> like yeah. I was like, that, oh. that it's not her building. Yeah. <laughs> well, I find it really interesting that well, she tells him, "I'll rent it from you. Um, I'll buy it from you." And he is like, well, you would need collateral. She's like, and she's like, what do you, what would you use for collateral? Which I don't really understand how this works, but she's like, my medical degree. I don't understand how it works either. But basically, would it be if she can't pay, she loses her medical degree? Right, I guess I take like, your medical license away. Which, yeah. it, oh, it takes me off so much that he's like, uh, yeah, that would work for a man. But, like, yeah. nobody really has trust in a woman doctor. But, like, you yep. know, if you had a husband, maybe. Like, any plans of, like, getting married and having a husband? And you can just, like, <laughs> see, like, the, the smoke coming out Seething. of her ears. <laughs> yep. And she says, and I love the line because she says, I don't think that's any of your business, which is literally what her mom just said to Lauren. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're the same person. Related. But what what makes it f- even funnier. Him. is the comedic timing of him like she she spits that back at yeah. him i don't think that's any of your business he's like, and he's like no plans huh <laughs> yeah that made me like actually laugh out loud <laughs> like honestly though if that happened to me i would i would hurt someone <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's i mean it's let we have to take a moment for as funny as that whole scene is we do i i feel like as women we have to take a moment to actually recognize how hard it was to be a woman yeah. in the 1800s because I can't imagine. He won't even give her the time of day because she's a woman for no other reason yeah. than her sex. Yeah, and like, I feel like because a lot of the focus of the show is the fact that she's a, a doctor and a woman, but I yeah. think this is a moment of like, kind of goes back to like, the fact that she's just a woman. It d- wouldn't really matter yep. her occupation. You're not going to buy a building and also, then there's the idea of, like, being a single woman, which is just, like, so degrading yeah. anyway, so. That that makes her lesser of a person, or less responsible of a person. Or even, like, just or... not worthy to speak to. Because he's like, if you had a husband, I could talk to him. And I'm like, you're talking yeah. to a woman right now, like. <laughs> yep. Do you want to talk about Sully's new tomahawk? <laughs> it's awesome. So right after that, we switch over, not far from the clinic, but over to Robert E's. Uh, where we see Sully is um, having a new tomahawk made by Robert E., which is super cool. And I love the moment, you know, where Robert E.'s like, you want to try it out? And Sully's like, uh, I-, I trust you, man. Like, and, and you, I know your work. Yeah, and, and Robert E. just wants to see him throw it, let's be honest, because <laughs> he's like, come on, try it out. And he does do this awesome move where he, like, flings it. Well, let me tell you something. I know I've been pretty tough on Sully, but I rewound that part because I was like, no, let me tell you why. Because I was like, wait, was that a stunt double? Because they showed him throw it from behind. But then I realized they did this. The cinematography is they actually panned from his profile to behind him to make sure that we as the viewer know Joe Lando actually learned how to throw a tomahawk. Really? Or... Yes, because I then went and looked it up, and there's a whole behind-the-scenes video where he talked about learning to throw a tomahawk, and if you and if you watch the clip, actually, the cinematography is very intentional, because they could have very easily just shot, 
you know, the front of Sully throwing it and then flash to it hitting the post. Yeah. But instead, the way that they shot it, actually, they start at Sully's profile. So you see it's Joe Lando. They pan around to the back of his head. He throws it and it hits in the thing. And I was like, okay, I know that I've been like, oh, (laughs) all these scenes are just to make Sully look cool. But this is a moment where I'll be like, that was really cool. I want to watch it again. Yeah, actually, that makes me really happy. That makes me really happy. That he actually can throw a tomahawk. Yeah. And you know who else is impressed? Grace. Because Grace comes over. And she is there because she brought Robert E. Cornbread. I don't know why. I just love their interactions. I, I know it's really corny. <laughs> cornbread corny. <laughs> I know it's really, like, silly. Like, all their interactions are, like, so dumb because they're, they're like, we like each other, but we're not saying anything about it. I was going to say, their romance is the romance that I would expect of two elementary schoolers <laughs> who have a crush on each other, but think the other, like, if they admit it, it would be a sign of weakness. Yeah, it just makes me like it because it's just like, oh, she made you food, which, you know, is like, but then it just, this happened in the last, co- one of the other episodes, right, where they're like standing there and they're like, oh, thanks. They're just staring at each other. No one's saying anything. And then she gets, <laughs> she like gets so annoyed because he, he doesn't say whatever she's expecting. I'm not really sure. Is she asking, is she like waiting for him to ask her out or something or? Or, or I thought maybe like she brought cornbread, like maybe he would invite her to like a picnic or something. To like eat I, it I together. Cause she brought it in this beautiful basket yeah. all wrapped up. So yeah, but I don't know but- why though, because I love it. Even though she storms off and is angry, he just gets this like goofy boy <laughs> grin on his face. It's so cute. I love it. It's because men are oblivious. <laughs> and like even Sully, like Sully walks away from that whole interaction going, you got it bad, Robert E. <laughs> yeah. And he, and it's cute because I love Robert E's like that's the kind of girl man could dream his whole life about. And then what is <laughs> Sully's like? Make your dreams come true or something. What does he say? Something that's kind of like okay, dude, but like <laughs> make it I happen. Don't know. I don't think he says anything. Does no, he, he does. He says he says something of like oh maybe I missed it. Dreams aren't supposed to stay that way forever or something like that. Oh so. maybe yeah, that sounds like yeah. something cheesy. <laughs> um, but even though we have this really sweet cute moment immediately after we see the forge explode yeah and they don't really i feel like they don't really show exactly what happens all you know is there's fire and he's on fire basically yeah because like what actually caught on fire they don't yeah they don't it just i mean it just looks like a a surge of of fire it just like an air pocket or i i have no idea it just yeah explodes really and i i would be interested to know how they shot him on fire where he's writhing. I didn't even think of that. Because, um, well, you can watch, there's lots of, like, videos online of how they, like, do that. They, like, douse people in this, like, cream and they wear, like, fake, yeah. It's really interesting, but I, I know, I've watched videos on how they do it nowadays and it's stuntmen and it's super dangerous, but they, like, do it. And so I'd be interested to see, like, how they did it in 1990 or whatever. Yeah. 92 probably when they shot this since it was premiering in January 93 but I do have to say <laughs> I really am I, I don't want to say hate is too strong of a word I really don't like the next the writing of the next portion because Dr. Quinn runs up next to Sully. Sully's on the ground with Robert E. They've put the fire out and she goes Sully looking at Sully holding Robert E. And, and Sully turns and goes it's Robert E. <laughs> she says, like, uh, you know, God bless or something like that. And I'm like, 
what? That, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, why did you need her to go, Sully, it's Robert E. Like, you can see there's an injured man who who it is. I think you can tell. I did notice that. I noticed it was weird, especially because there's already, like, a crowd around them, yeah. so. I was like, I don't like the writing. Uh, like, it would have made, I don't know, if it, if on the page they had written that she was running towards and, like, yelled Sully and he yelled back, like, it's Robert E. You know, then it would have made more sense, but it's weird because she's standing right yeah (laughs) and and also i would say another reason i don't really like this scene is very intentional by the writers she has just been kicked out of her clinic and she asked jake to take him to his shop and jake's like i don't think that's a good idea and she's like seriously oh yeah and he and then he's like it's not me it's my customers and i just want to be like (laughs) Screw you, man. I probably should I probably should cut that, but like it's like are you kidding me? I know. And then I mean if he if Robert E. weren't dying, I wish she would have laid into him a little more. But she's like, Are you saying he's good enough to shoot your horse but not good enough to get medical attention in your shop? Yeah. You know? And I'm just like And then I really hate that he's like Robert E. is like screaming at the reverend yeah. like am i going to heaven am i going to heaven and like i know that this is meant to tear our hearts out and it literally works because i'm just like oh my gosh stop i hate that this is the world that you're living in that you have to ask that question yeah it's awful yeah but i think like i said i think it's supposed to be awful so good good writing i guess on that part because i responded in the way i think that they wanted right us to no respond. i i felt mad too i was like are you actually kidding me right now And so Matthew gets the wagon and they take Robert E. back to the homestead, which basically was originally the clinic anyway. That's where she took care of Black Kettle, you know. And they take Robert E., they being Silly and Dr. Mike, they take Robert E. and kind of are taking his clothes off. um. Can you, you can't do that to burn victims, right? Like, because isn't there a risk, like, if someone's been burned, their clothes, like, melt into their skin. And if you go to take it off, you'll, like, rip off half the skin with it. I don't know. I've never heard that. But I think it would probably depend on the severity of the burn and location and surface area. I have literally no idea. I don't know, to be honest. It's a, okay. But the burns that I've seen, I've seen some really nasty third degree burns. And we've always, like, the first thing we do is take their clothes off. I always am very interested in, like, stories that have things about scars because... Well, Kelly knows, but I I actually have some pretty significant scars um, from different injuries and stuff. So I, I don't know. I always pay attention to that because I feel like there are a lot of movies or just like actors in general, like no, no scars, no flaws. And I'm like over here, like, look at me, Bride of Frankenstein. Oh gosh. (laughs) It's not really that bad. It's not really that bad. But, um, but I mean... With but the whole scar thing, we see that Robert E. has scars from, I, I think Sully says they're from being whipped. Yeah, he does, um, which is crazy. And a lot. Like, they're pretty, the way that they did that was pretty significant. And I think for me it's hard, right, because, well, what I'm going to say is it's hard because we see them take off his shirt and there are burns, but it's kind of like, I don't know if they're first, second, third degree, because second degree burns would be... The epidermis, which is that outer layer, and the dermis. So that's when you would see skin that's, like, red and blistered and swollen. Third degree is obviously the worst. And that's when you're going to have damaged muscle, bones, tendons. 
because it's destroyed the epidermis and the dermis completely. So not just partially. So I kind of wanted to see that, but then I also remember it's not a medical show. It doesn't really matter. Well, I think that's a good point because I, I don't think I knew the difference actually. I mean, I knew the phrases for it, but what actually, I, and I knew which one was the worst, but yeah. that is really interesting. Like, and I guess th- would that depend on how hot it was or would that depend on how quick they put it out or do you know? Burns, there's a lot of factors with them. And one of the main things is TBSA, which is total body surface area. So actually the proportion of his body that those burns are covering. Mm-hmm. So really it's important where the surface surface area is, if it's going to be able to be skin grafted, which obviously they probably weren't doing at this time. In fact, I found out that most of the pathophysiological effects of burns was not clear until the 1800s. So there's century long like histories of treatments for burns from, like I said, skin grafting, pain management, excision. But a lot of patients at this time were still dying because of shock and infection because they weren't really sure of the effects of burns. Um, Which I think they kind of show the shock, right? Like he, that he doesn't. Yeah. And that's why, well, we'll get to it in a second, but that's why Dr. Mike says when Grace comes, like he's not, he's not acting himself right now because he's still going through that. And I mean, most of the major advances in burn care have occurred like in the last 50 years. So it's kind of weird for me because I'm like, we watched this whole episode and I'm like, what are they actually doing for him other than like, He's, like, laying there and, like, like I said, it, it really depends where it's at, temperature for sure, how long, yeah, was his flesh actually, like, on fire? Like, a lot of things are involved. So I think the point was to show everyone the whipping scars, but I was, like, mm. trying to look at the burn to determine, like, what actually happened because he was, it seemed like he was on fire for a while before he did stop, drop, and roll, and then Sully kind of tried to get it out, so. That's a lot of good information. I also think it's really powerful when when she starts, I guess, like, cutting his clothes off or whatever, but he starts humming. She says, like, basically, I can't give you any sort of, like, anesthetic, which I tried to look this up because I was like, why? And basically a lot of stuff said, like, you can give burn patients anesthetics now. I'm not really sure why at that time she couldn't do that, but he was like, that's when he kind of starts to sing because she's not going to be able to take any pain away initially. Maybe because they were at the homestead? Maybe. I really don't know. But I know, I mean, from personal experience, and I've never experienced, like, a second or third degree burn, but burns are some of the most painful things, man. Like, yeah, anybody that's been burned, like, at any time, it's just so painful. So I, just I feel like about- it's actually a pretty common, like, injury. Like, yeah. Especially, I mean, like, cooking and, and right. whatever. But, like, our brother, actually, our youngest brother got a second degree burn. Uh, a few months ago and from actually scalding water falling on his foot like full-on blistered up like full raw skin just like he was in a lot of pain like actually he did a lot better than I thought because he's not very good with that stuff I really didn't look at him that like I I mean not that I didn't look at him I didn't look at the burn because it was really yeah and he's got a gnarly scar from it too so I don't know from my experience burns are just some there's some things that you see patients go through and you think, I never want to have to experience that, and that is how I feel about burns. Uh, so after this, we kind of have... I it's think the it's next the next morning. morning. Yeah, it's the next morning. And Dr. Quinn's mom goes outside to kind of freshen up, wash up. It's early because no one else is awake. And Sully's just hanging out in a tree. 
and she's very taken aback. Is she's he in like, a tree? I thought he was up on a hill because the yeah. dog's up there. No, he is. You're right. He's like he's definitely <laughs> above though. You know, and she doesn't see him until she's like washing her neck, looking around, and then she's like, um, she creepy? revealed her her collarbone. <laughs> Scandalous. Yeah, very. And uh, it uh, it annoys me though. Well, it doesn't he annoy- does just kind of. Just- he Give looks her a away. Look. He looks away. And then, like, she goes inside and she's like, does that savage live here? And, you know, Dr. Quinn, that made me, I literally wrote this down in my notes because it made me laugh. She's like, savage? And then, oh, she's like, you mean Sully? <laughs> and then, and then I love the line where she's like, savages don't knock, mother. Right, because then he knocks on the door and he apologizes. Oh, he's just so sweet. He, like, didn't mean to startle you, you know? They do a good job of building kind of the, like, embarrassment slash, like, um, kind of just, like, awkward tension in the room by, like, showing, like, Dr. (laughs) Mike and Sully and looking and then Elizabeth looking and then back. And then there's just, like, this awkward, like, kind of silence where they're all like, okay, yep, all right, if you need anything, let me know, you know? It's like, I think it's good awkward tension of, like, she doesn't even actually, like, formally really introduce her mother, right? Yeah, and it just makes me laugh, too, because Dr. Quinn's standing in her pajamas, and she, like, doesn't care. Like, we've gotten to the point where, like, she doesn't even care anymore. Like, Sully is just, you know. Well, he he saw a lot last episode. That's true. (laughs) Okay, next. (laughs) Um... Later in the day, Dr. Mike is washing clothes when Grace arrives at the homestead. And you kind of mentioned this earlier, but she's there to see Robert Nee. And it, it, it's not a very nice encounter. He doesn't want her there. He's really kind of volatile and just really like, get out of here, go away. I don't want to see you. And Dr. Mike, you know, like you said, kind of, <laughs> it's, a, I always... I was going to say, I always take it personally when a character in a story tells another character not to take it personally because <laughs> I am the queen of taking things personally. And I'd be like, yeah, I'd be mad too. I'm even shocked though to hear this. I'm like, he's like, what? <laughs> you know that about yourself? Hush. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, that's a personal attack on me. Don't take it personally. Uh, and then she, Grace just makes a comment like, he's a stubborn man. Yeah. Uh, which then Dr. Quinn says, yeah, and that stubbornness might be what keeps him alive. Yeah, which is cool. And I think, like, part of it is he's in shock still. He, he, he doesn't really know exactly what's going on. But also, I mean, let's talk about the fact that, like, you like someone, you have feelings for someone, you don't want them to see you at your worst moment, like, at this point in the relationship. And they don't even really have, like, they're not in a relationship, but, like, I think part of it is he doesn't want her to see him like this, you know? And... And I think that that happens with a lot of people. Like, they just don't want people they love to see them at a certain point. And Well, and we could we could bring the scars up again, right? Like, my parents will tell you I had a horseback riding accident and I had to get a pretty major surgery on my collarbone. So I have a huge scar that runs the length of basically the front of my clavicle to, like, upper shoulder. And I have a titanium plate and eight screws in there. And... When I got that surgery, I I couldn't actually see the scar at first, but my parents will tell you when I, when we went to get the dressing removed and I saw the scar, which it looks so much better than it did, I'm sure, but you know, Kelly, like when you first get it off and you see it for the first time, like it was ugly. 
And I was wailing in the doctor's office being like, no one will ever love me with a scar like this without a, a popping out collarbone. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So in a, in a probably a more serious vein of that, I think it, uh, I mean, to be honest, for me, it had a lot to do with vanity, too, of being like, when we want to be seen as strong, right? We want to be seen as, you know, attractive, like whichever balance of those two things, like it's a, it is a trial. And like you said, especially for someone that you're not even in a relationship, but that you like to right. see you hurt and, you know, scarred up and suffering and vulnerable and yeah, yeah. in pain. And, and it goes the same way, right? Like the fact that she you know, went all the way out there to make sure he was okay and check on him is, like, you know, shows how much she cares as well. Because they are, like, they're still getting to know each other. They obviously like each other, but they're not, like, in love or anything. So that's a big moment, I think, for her to do that, too. You want to talk about Colleen crying in the while milking the cow? Basically, you don't want to talk about periods? <laughs> no, I do. I have something to say, but you I have it. something to say because this Dr. Quinn messed up here. Okay. The very next scene, <laughs> we have Colleen milking a cow and crying, as you do when you multitask. <laughs> and um, her, not, well, Dr., not Dr. Quinn, Mrs. Quinn, Elizabeth comes in, you know, and is basically like, well, first she's like, you know, in Boston, you can get glass, glass bottles full of milk, just come to the door. <laughs> she's trying to relate. <laughs> Which is so unrelatable by the fact that she's like milking the cow herself. Um... <laughs> But they kind of, she's trying to figure out, you know, why Colleen's crying and Colleen is convinced that she's going to die, which actually, without going too much into this, one of the reasons I actually wanted, knew that I wanted to do medicine and, and medicine overseas and like rural medicine, I guess, is because I had this experience in Haiti. I was shadowing a doctor actually in Haiti and there was a young girl who, same thing, thought she was going to die because nobody had explained to her the menstrual cycle. And it was, like, the coolest moment. This doctor just sat down with the translator and explained to this young girl, of like, this is actually a really normal part of life. And I was just like, so much of medicine is actually education, which I mm -hmm. am very passionate about. And I think a lot, of, a lot of education happens here in the United States, but a lot more education needs to happen in developing countries because things like that, that are just... I mean, we're taught in school about that, like normal things that we view as information that everyone has access to. People actually don't. There are people in the world that don't. And I think it's so important to get it to them. So it actually made me flash back to that moment. Um, but Elizabeth kind of explains to her, like, you're not going to die. Like, you're a woman, which, by the way, if you didn't know what was going on and someone said, like, someone said that, you'd literally, I, I feel like Colleen would be so confused. Like, literally, what are you talking about? Like. I have one kind of complaint with this scene. Colleen's mother was the midwife. And Colleen used oh. to help her mom. How does Colleen not know what a period is? Well, maybe she understands, like, birth. But just because you understand birth, you might not understand how people get pregnant and when you're pregnant. I mean, maybe that's You don't true, have a menstrual cycle. It's very complicated, actually, let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, that's the first thing that I thought, though. I was like, I feel like she should know. Like, I, don't get me wrong. Back then, they didn't talk about 
yeah, repro- reproductive systems at all. Like even into like World War One, World War Two. Like there's all these biographies about women like going into marriages, like having no clue. Yeah. About anything, but I just feel like it's it's not about it's not about making babies, right? It's about your period. How does she, I don't know. I I just yeah. felt like your your mom was the midwife. I feel like even if she didn't like tell you, surely you had to be exposed to what comes with women's you know, health when you're pregnant you don't yeah, yeah like, women's health. anyway i actually that's interesting because i didn't i didn't think of that um that is a good point that, at the same time i can kind of understand like maybe was not a conversation that ever was had just the assumption of like well and she i guess she was the the next scene dr mike is like she's too which young is and she, a straight lie this really annoys me about dr mike you're a doctor okay the average <laughs> age of a of a i want to say a woman but the average age of girls when they actually get what we call menses is 12. 12 is average, but anywhere between 10 to 15 is is seen as normal. So like I don't know if that's just like her internal like she's just in denial of the fact that like her 13-year-old daughter is like too young to have that happen to her, but that is like her daughter that maybe she's had for a couple months. I know, it just bothered me because I'm like <laughs> you're a doctor, like don't think of it as a mom. If you're a doctor, you should know that that's normal that kind of bothers well, I, me but i think i think that um elizabeth makes a point like she's she's not figured out the balance yet between her being a mother and her profession right, right? and she, and and elizabeth kind of says it in a mean way like that was the problem with your father too he was so caught up in his profession he didn't he never paid attention to his family which i'm sure wasn't true so i'm i think probably there is a little bit of a truth to that like she is and and we saw that in the epidemic episode like she needs to learn like we all do right (laughs) the balance between work and family and social life right like um, which for her at this point are all new like it's every piece of it yeah even if she has been a doctor she has not been a doctor in a rural community like this dealing with the issues she had so yeah for sure it is a nice moment i think between grandmother and granddaughter kind of because yeah you know i don't think she's been super friendly with the children or anything at this point but it's a nice moment to share. And I think, like, as a girl, as a woman, I'm, like, being able to have that conversation with another woman is, is a good thing for, like, growing up and development, so. But they kind of still leave it a little bit awkward in that when Dr. Mike does go to talk to Colleen about it, Colleen's really not interested in having any more conversation because she had the conversation with Elizabeth. because she's embarrassed. I think it's embarrassing. Like, I think you get older and you don't care, but, like, when you're young, it is a very embarrassing thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I remember when I came home from school and I was like, Mom, did you tell Dad? And she was like, of course I told Dad. And I cried because Mom had told Dad that I had got my period. That's so funny. All right. I mean, it's it's one thing for Mom to know. Yeah, exactly. Okay, what happened after that? Oh, gosh. Um, Anyway, enough about periods. (laughs) The, The next scene is Hank showing up at the homestead wanting to get his hand stitched. Somebody, yeah, because somebody cut him. Probably because he's having too many bar fights again. <laughs> you know, and she's like, well, why don't you go see your friend Jake? And he's like, Jake's drunk. And I'm like, sounds like reliable Jake Slicker. And, you know, and he's like, well, how much? And she's like, a dollar a stitch. <laughs> Which, again, we've said, a dollar is kind a of a lot rent, of money. One month's rent. <laughs> yeah, and... You know, I would just put in as many stitches as I could just for money's sake. 
be like, mm, you need a few more. Sorry, um, did that hurt? <laughs> yeah, seriously. But she does it. Oh, well, they don't, they don't show it, but he, the next day, they, she mentions that she won't be so accommodating if he doesn't help her. Now, can I, I'm just gonna throw this in there, um, we had Jake in the previous episode seeming to feel pretty guilty when Emily's husband died. I'll just say this, because I don't want to get into, into spoilers in the future, but... We'll just put a little bookmark in it. I don't think Jake being drunk here is just something they threw in to be like, oh, Jake's drunk. Um, I think this and going from the conversation where he won't let Robert E. get help in his shop to later, you know, when he's gonna show private concern, as she calls it. Um, I, I think that that is all very intentional writing. That's all I'll say on it. Interesting. So then, following that, Elizabeth and Dr. Mike get into a pretty serious argument. Basically, where Dr. Mike's like, why can't you just accept me for what I am? And Elizabeth says, no one is ever going to accept a woman doctor, which is very on point to how she was at the beginning of the series. She makes a comment, you know, you, you should be dancing and meeting a young man. And Dr. Mike goes, I had a young man. And then, and then her mom's like, well, when are you going to stop mourning him? Which I'm like, um, rude. If someone yeah. you love died, you don't just, like, get over that. Yeah. Though she doesn't, well, I shouldn't say she doesn't she seem that know. sad. She but should know. I don't know. I, I think you can tell she does have some resentment against her husband, but I don't know if that's about him or more about Michaela. <laughs> and, you know, and that's when they talk, you know, she's like, what are you? You're, you know, a country doctor. Not everyone accepts you. Just a few. What is she? I think she calls them like uh, hopeless souls or something, you know. Yeah. They pay you in potatoes and chickens and it's very mean. And I just imagine like, Obviously, my parents would never say this to me, but, like, imagine that I'm working overseas somewhere and somebody said that to me. I'd be like, what? Yeah, it's it's a harsh scene. Because I think what's, what's hard about it, even for us, like, as viewers, people have doubted her. People have said all these things to her before this. The difference is it's her mother, you know? It's like we... For some reason, because we care about this character so much, hearing her mom say this to her and, and us knowing how much she's already overcome to still have someone be like, you're falling short. Yeah. Our next scene is in the post office with Horace and our beloved Jedediah, <laughs> the uh, banker. Basically, he's trying to, well, it really, the whole scene where he's, like, tapping his fingers is annoying, but he's basically trying to send a telegram to Denver to say that the boarding house is going to be up for auction. And Dr. Mike kind of walks in at this exact moment and is like, actually, I need you to let me buy it. When he's like, I mean, you can go to Denver. And she's like, uh. I, I just thought it was really funny when she's like, you're... 
you're selling the boarding house? And he's like, I thought I explained this to you in very plain English. Or do you only understand Latin? And I'm like, oh, he just made a joke. <laughs> I guess because she's a doctor. But yeah. my favorite party was come after. And he's like, good day, Miss Quinn. And Horace like, it's, hey, that's Dr. Quinn. And I was like, yes. <laughs> it's Which awesome. Honest, I love it. Horace, Horace is wonderful. Like, yeah. He's. So, underrated character, but he very quickly was one of her best supporters. Yeah, I know. Even though he basically is the reason <laughs> that, ev- like, everyone was mad that she came and wasn't a boy. <laughs> Except, but maybe, but at the same time, if he had left Michaela, they probably would have would not have even invited her. So, he also could be the reason that she even is there still, because she came and then wouldn't leave. Good point. Yeah. So, is is Horace the hero or the uh, meddler? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Robert E. develops a, f- a fever. Well, they come home and the mom is, on, I guess, trying to bring his fever down. She tells him he's got a fever and then... Which is bad. Which, just gonna, real quick, you guys, we've talked a lot about septicemia and sepsis and... Anything, basically, when you break contact in your skin has direct access to your bloodstream. Similar thing. There's bacteria on your skin at all times. The most common being Staphylococcus aureus. And this is most times what people develop when they have burns is that all of that skin is now exposed to the outside environment, including all the bacteria that was originally there or is on nearby intact skin. And if... Again, that's supposed to be on the outside of your body, but if that staph aureus gets in, inside that flesh, inside the um, arteries and and makes way through the bloodstream, now you're going to have infection, which will cause fever because your body's going to try to fight it off. So it's not good. Very not good, especially for burn victims. Um, so I just thought I would sneak that in there since we've learned so much about sepsis. <laughs> I know. Upon realizing that Robert E. has a fever, Dr. Quinn, for some reason they don't really explain, but she needs to go back into town. And we got a back-talking, moody Colleen, who doesn't want to be left behind. The boys Mm. got to go help Miss Olive on the ranch, which, interestingly, we didn't see Olive Olive. at all this episode. True. But... She, you know, she makes this comment, the boys get to do everything, and then, surprisingly, Elizabeth volunteers. Well, it's surprising at first, volunteers to look after Robert E. We soon kind of figure out maybe the reason is because she wanted to to bathe. (laughs) They kind of make it seem like she had some plans, but (laughs) don't you know who interrupts her attention? Well, maybe she wasn't bathing. She ends she, up like, going went, into the garden. Yeah, she was like, I don't know where you're going with that. She goes near the garden. And I know we normally talk about this at the end of the episode, but I'm just going to sneak it in now that this is my favorite scene. Okay. Because without going word for word, Sully explains that it's his homestead. He had a wife and child and they both passed, which is why he no longer lives there. And he says, you know... Maybe if there had been a doctor like your daughter before, my wife and baby would still be alive. And I just, I love that. Because after all of this, we know that Elizabeth Quinn does not support Dr. Mike, does not believe in what Dr. Mike's doing. But I think that's the point right there, right? Is to aid, to treat, to prevent things that are 
treatable, preventable in other parts of the United States in this case. That's why she's there to have a purpose. And I don't know. It's just, I really love that. And then they kind of pan to Elizabeth Quinn's face. And it's like this just kind of, not like this stoic look that she's had, but just like, and not even like an epiphany. It's just like this moment where she's kind of like, oh, I don't know. It just, I don't know. Yeah. It got me. Like, oh, maybe I don't understand yeah. at all. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, when she's talking out. to Sully, you can see she's like invested. She's like, well, what happened to the baby? And he's like, she went with her, you know, meaning that it passed with his wife. Like, she's she's concerned. She obviously feels bad about it. And so she cares about that. And then to kind of realize how her daughter could play into that is a cool moment. I really like it. We then flash into the saloon. <laughs> where this is where we get Hank uh, doesn't want to help Dr. Quinn. Oh, that's why Dr. Quinn was going into town. She was going with money to meet Bancroft. And she whips out a thousand dollars in this bar full of drunk men. Yeah. And I'm like, girl, common sense. But I guess it's a small town. <laughs> um, and he very clearly says, I can't and won't sell it to a woman if, you know, I guess insinuating if she cannot pay in full. The full right then amount. And there. But thankfully for Horace, Horace does have the full $5 he needs to go up and get to I love it. To he's like, to he doesn't like, he could have just like dropped it and like gone, but he's like, you know, he's like, right there, count it if you want. He's like so proud that he has it. And uh, yeah. he goes back to talk to Myra, and it's kind of awkward because he's like, I paid Hank. And she's like, uh, let me just start taking my clothes off. And it's like, well, no, 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 no. Well, I, <laughs> he's like, I just, what kind of man do you think I am? I just want to talk with you. Is that um, your horse? Is that your horse impression? <laughs> That's, yes, it is. It's very uh, southern <laughs> for Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> That's in the south, west. Thank you for finishing that sentence <laughs> because I'm literally looking at her like she's crazy. But it's cute because he kind of says, like, I just want to thank you for taking such good care of me. And she's like, oh, like, well, he's like, unless, you know, you did that for everyone. And she's like, no, no, like, I didn't. I think um, she says, I, I think I took especially good care of you. Yeah. And, and then he starts to tell her a story about the time he sent a telegram to the wrong place, which she seems thrilled to listen to. I think to. it's so, it probably means so much to her that somebody just wants to pay money to go in there and talk to her. Are you kidding me? Oh, no, I, th I mean, and I think that's why she likes Dr. Mike so much, because their first interaction yeah. was just like, she just was able to talk to her yeah. and be open and honest. Yeah. Yeah. So Colleen and Dr. Mike are headed back to the homestead when Colleen asks her, do you ever wish you were a boy? Do you ever wish you were a boy, Kelly? Me? Yeah. No, not really. In fact, there were times like this weekend, I just um, was able to see a friend of mine from high school that I have not seen for a long time. And I had this thought of like, gosh, I just love being a girl. I guess I should say a woman. I'm a woman. But like, I love being a girl because there's something about just like talking to other women and just, I don't know. No, I like being a woman for sure. I don't, I think, I think sometimes I do wish I was a boy. Because why? Well, this is going to sound bad. And it's not 100% true, but I feel like I, the times I've thought about it most often is as a teacher, 
Um, mm. And especially when I taught in public schools, I, I've always felt like when you're teaching, male teachers don't have to earn the respect of their students. Yeah. That, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that all students respect male teachers or that all male teachers are, you know, worthy of respect or better. I'm just saying that I've, I've always felt like as a woman teacher, I really have to prove myself to my students and prove to them why I am worthy of their respect. And not, not that that was like a super hard thing to do or anything, but I, it's something I've thought about. I think often enough. Yeah. And and it didn't happen as much when I was working in Asia, but that's because in Asia the view of teachers is very different. But especially when I worked in America in public schools, I was always like I feel like I have to battle so much more for the respect of my students than a male teacher has to. That's fair. Not and that's not to say they don't have to. Right. It just it's different. And that's not to say that all students disrespect female teachers either. I, I get no. what you're saying. I think there's been moments, like when you ask the question, do I ever wish I'd been a boy? Maybe at some, I don't know. Actually, I really don't think I've ever wished I was a boy. There's definitely been moments in my life when I've realized that being a girl comes with certain disadvantages or certain interactions that make you feel a certain way. But um, luckily enough, like, yes, I... I'm not going to be a doctor. I will be a physician assistant. I recognize they're different. But I think a lot of the stuff in this episode, well, in this whole series about, like, her being a female and a doctor, I don't really ever have concerns about the fact that I'm going to be a female practicing yeah. um, provider, that that will... Mm. But that's not... I mean, it doesn't... I mean, I haven't experienced it yet. It doesn't mean it won't happen. But... Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what about Colleen says, I want to do more than get married and have babies. Mm. Do you ever feel like that? <laughs> I don't think I feel the pressure of that. Although I will say it is a, like, I would say most friends that I've talked to that are in medical school, dental school, PA school, anything. Like if you're a woman, that's something that is a deciding factor. If you want to get married and have children, it's a deciding factor into schooling. So I think it plays more of into like that, but I don't feel I don't feel that that's you know what the world expects from me to get married and mm -hmm. like I feel like I have more worth than that. <laughs> yeah, well, and so that's like an interesting thing I don't know to think about because like when I've often thought about my future, I I asked my friends this one time like when you imagine your future, do you imagine yourself with a husband and children? And I have a lot of friends are like yeah and I'm not I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that because I I do have friends who are like all I want to do is be married and have kids you know be a mom be a wife but that's never been like me like I've always been like no when I imagine my life I imagine myself doing this or having this job or accomplishing this thing or being in this place whatever and that's I think from the conversations I've had, that's not necessarily a norm. Um, and that's not to say, like, I'm I'm not... Normal? <laughs> I, well, no, I, that is to say that. But um, I, I think the, the thing would be, like, oh, if I would ever fall in love and decide to get married, it would definitely have to be, like, a God thing, like, put it in front of my face so I see it, because that's not where I'm looking right now. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I mean, of course I'm glad that we live in an era where 
women are more than just wives yeah. and mothers, right? Sure. They can be teachers and doctors. Because sure. there was a time where, you know, only men could be professors or teachers yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I would say in a different way, it's not the same kind of pressure today, but there's definitely the pressure. I think it's just different. Especially, like, when you're in a, like, you're in your 20s and 30s, I feel like a lot of people around you getting married and having children, and so yeah. I think it's more of a pressure that way than it's, like, what what society expects of you, which is what we see more in Dr. Quinn. I had, I had some friends in, at the church I went to in Asia who the husband would always ask me, when are you going to settle down and get married <laughs> uh, yeah. and have kids? And it would annoy the crap out of me because <laughs> I was like, I'm not worried about that. Okay. Like, yeah. Um, so I think you will always have those people, you know, but, but like for all I know that like guys get asked those questions too. I don't really know if they do. Do you think? I don't know. I don't I'm know. just saying like, don't you think certain, certain people go to family gatherings and you know, the aunt and uncle asks, ask the guys like, Oh, what are you-? but I, I don't feel like they ever ask the guys. I, I really don't know. I'm not a boy, but I'm just wondering. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think le- if you, if you're a boy, let us know. <laughs> I th- And the thing is our brothers have, have had girlfriends for a while, so I know they don't get asked the question, but maybe they're also younger. And so even if like, I think it's not as, I don't know. They're not of marriageable I mean, age yet. <laughs> at this, this point in the world, what does that even mean? But I'm just like, they're younger, so I feel like having a girlfriend you're younger, or have, being yeah. in a relationship is not that big. Of, I don't know. This, this conversation's going different places. What's next? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> well, all that to say is I do like this conversation where Dr. Mike kind of ends with, don't be afraid to fight for your dreams, even if you're fighting for them in a man's world. And while I would say in America, obviously great leaps and bounds have been made for women's rights and, you know, women's equality, I still think we can agree that there are aspects of our world that still is a man's world. And so I think that's a really, it's a pretty powerful message. And the whole scene actually ends up closing out with, I think, an even more powerful moment for our characters, where Colleen tells Dr. Mike you are really lucky to still have your mom. Mm. Not that we've forgotten that these kids lost their mom at all, but just to hear her voice that and recognize that, oh yeah, these are still children who are grieving a mother. And what, and this won't be the last character to kind of voice this, you know, reminder to Dr. Mike, like, appreciate what you have because you won't know the value of it until it's gone. Yeah. Back at the homestead, we have another confrontation between Dr. Mike and Elizabeth where Dr. Mike does that thing. We know her flaw. She can't ask for help. She asks her mom for money, which is must have been so hard. Yeah. And not only does Elizabeth say no, but she is like, I would never want to help you do something that would ruin your life. Dramatic much? Dramatic much? And then they throw around... This is where I mean, like, I think Elizabeth has some resentment toward your father. You know, she's like, I was always a wife without a husband, and now I'm a mother without a daughter. Which I'm like, wait a minute, you had, what, five or six girls? Like, why are you so obsessed with your daughters? Four other daughters that are living the life you want them to. Chill, lady. (laughs) Yeah, but you're only worried about her... Um, and she, you know, Dr. Mike is like, she said this to her mother in the pilot, you know, my 
father gave me the courage to follow my dreams. But in the end, it ends with uh, also a dramatic, I think you must really hate me. Which seems like a teenage line, but I've totally said that to my parents before. <laughs> when I'm really upset about something. Like, you must hate me. I don't know what to say. <laughs> You've never said that to mom or dad? Uh, I don't know. You're not as dramatic as me, so probably not. <laughs> I feel like I try not to use the word hate in, like, anything. So sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I've said those exact words, but probably felt the emotions. <laughs> Lauren, at this time, brings Grace back to the homestead where we see her interact with Robert E. And he's kind of in a in a interesting state of consciousness, but basically is is talking about his children. Um, wondering if his children are okay. And she comforts him in telling him that his children are safe and that she's not going anywhere. Um, well, she tells him you're not a slave anymore. Right, right. Because I, I guess based on what he was saying, it's like he's kind of reliving that part of him, his life. And she's reminding him that that's not reality anymore. Yeah, it's, it's a nice scene. And in the meantime, Lauren returns to town with Elizabeth and we see them coming back to the homestead. Um, and they kind of have an interesting conversations about the similarity of their daughters. Well, Elizabeth figures out that his daughter is the one that Sully was talking about. Which um, he confesses to her that he, the reason he was kind of weird at the homestead is because he doesn't like it because it reminds him yeah. of his daughter yeah. and granddaughter dying Right. And we get kind of little pieces of that, like of Lauren, you know, every time just giving a little bit more information and his, his reaction and emotion to it all. Um, but in the same way, you kind of pointed something out to me when we were talking about it, is in the same way that Colleen kind of says, like, you know, you're lucky to have your mom around. Lauren says, I would do anything. I would do absolutely anything to have my daughter back. Um, and I think it's, I mean... You probably will have some comments, but the point is to kind of let her realize that even though they may not get along and they may, she may not support her daughter, like, she should be grateful that she has her daughter in her life. Um, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you said it just right. Like, there is this message that, you know, again, appreciate what you have because we, you know, we're, no, no one's promised tomorrow, right? right. Grace comes rushing out of the homestead to Dr. Mike and kind of um, throws to her, you gotta save him, which she then apologizes for because Dr. Mike's like, I'm trying, you know, but yeah. there's no guarantee. And they are seated by Robert E's bed. And I think we're, we're getting this echoing again and again um, where Grace shares that, her mother passed away before she ever had a chance to tell her how much she meant to her and that Grace had kind of promised to herself that she would never let that happen again. So we're, we're getting these really powerful echoes for both these women from Colleen and Grace to Dr. Mike. And I think even like to Sully, from Sully and Lauren to Elizabeth, kind of this reminder of, of the value of each of them in each other's lives. Hmm. And it, Grace even says something about, you know, people disappoint you. 
my voice cracked. People, people disappoint you, but you, you love them anyway, which I think is a, a really beautiful moral message for the whole show. And we, we see Dr. Mike actually kind of fall asleep with tears in her eyes. I think it's interesting because you know that that's a one-room house. Uh, and Elizabeth comes out, and so yeah. we don't really know if she, like, heard she that She probably did. I feel like I noticed that, too, and I was like, she probably just heard all of that. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't about her mother, but um, just, yeah, re- hearing Grace share that with Dr. Mike. And so Elizabeth says she'll sit by Robert E., and Brian comes out with a blanket and asks for a story and she's like I don't know any stories which is is so interesting because you kind of get this impression that Elizabeth is not the kind of mother like they probably had like a governess or something you know or I guess the servants you know she's not she's not a cuddly mother I don't I don't know how to explain it but she's like I don't know any stories and he's like I'll just make one up and she's like like once upon a time yeah. <laughs> and so then she starts to tell the story I guess of her family and it you know it's very clearly leading towards this disappointment that she lost one of her girls to this wild country and then Brian picks up the I story know. and is like, like and her name was Dr. Mike <laughs> and she became my ma and she loved me just like my real ma and you're like melt yeah. like come on Elizabeth how can you stay hard hearted yeah. anymore like maybe you don't agree with your daughter coming out here to be a doctor but you cannot not support your daughter coming out here to love on these precious children yeah <laughs> I like that moment. Yeah, it's a it's a really nice scene. You know, I can say this because I did this. I wrote a play once, and in the first draft of my play, one of my friends told me that the character she liked least was my main character, and I was like, how do I make my character more likable? And you know what my solution was? Give my character more scenes with children. <laughs> there is nothing like a small child to make an adult having a conversation with them make become more likable (laughs) yeah yeah that's true especially brian he's so freaking cute i think we should start a cute counter for how many times you call brian cute in the course of (laughs) this podcast i mean what other word is there i can start using adorable (laughs) (laughs) precious wait till we get to the end then i'll tell you what was so cute so grace and robert e uh it, it seems to be the next morning grace is there she brings up that she didn't know he had children and it seems like no one knew ver- is very quick to shut down like don't ever speak of them yeah which is to be honest is disappointing for me as a viewer because i'm like i want to know yeah about your life i think i said in the last episode like i really want to know more about robert e's background but at the same time i think it's really realistic to be like you know i don't want to talk about them yeah and she tells him she loves him or likes him, but it's a very roundabout way with, like, a long look, and they hold hands. But she doesn't actually, like, say, like, I really care about you, or I like you. It's more it's just, understood. like, I, I wouldn't be here if I didn't feel strongly about you, which I guess is fine. If he understands, then it's worth it. I like it. I like that it's a moment of, like, she doesn't have to say it, it's understood. And he's the one that puts his hand out, which is showing that, like, this whole time he's been very, you know, stubborn and just embarrassed, and he's, like, letting that wall fall down, basically. 
I did, the more the more we do this, the more I realize I am I am the romantic. <laughs> like I think in my you know my bio on the website you wrote like oh the more romantic blah blah blah. And like, Did you not agree with that? Well, no, I just don't see myself that way. But then, like, we're talking. I'm like, but he didn't have to say. She didn't have to say anything. He just knew. <laughs> I'm I'm glad that you could discover this about yourself, which I already knew. Oh my. <laughs> Matthew's got a surprise. Matthew has a surprise after this, and basically, like, they're like, Elizabeth has to catch the train. Like, she needs to go. But it's very nice. He's set up this little bathing station. In the woods, a little more private, without uh, random savages hanging out, and <laughs> you know, I want that bathing station. I know it's it's a very nice tub, and it's secluded, and it's got like little uh, he has like little oils or stuff set up next. Don't you think she brought those? Yeah, probably. But he still set it up. It's really sweet, yeah. and, and you can tell she's really happy about it. And it's I mean, a nice moment because we have seen her interact with Colleen, we've seen her interact with Brian, but this is we haven't really seen her interact with Matthew, so. It's a nice moment where he's like, you know, he knew she was struggling with it. He waits till the last day, but I mean, I guess that's better than nothing. How, I want to know why the heck Jake had this big copper tub. I don't know. And why is he selling it? You know, he just has things back there in that shop. I don't know. <laughs> For when he's getting baptized. Jake? <laughs> what? Yeah. Just kidding. That's not a spoiler. I just made that up. <laughs> Is that, wait, is it a spoiler? <laughs> no, I'm, no. Oh. I'm literally just saying nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is, an, it is a nice moment. And you know that I really feel they do Matthew dirty by not giving him a lot of screen time, but maybe that'll change as we continue on. Yeah. But she, she is packing, they did say. I guess she had time for a bath before yes. she really had to pack, and as she's packing, Colleen comes in to give her the the heirlooms. Um, it's the like a, mi- a mirror and a brush. Set. Yeah. And she says, no, I want you to keep them, which is very sweet. And yeah. really, I mean, that speaks volumes to her kind of not only, well, just like accepting them as part of her family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just passing on this very, you know, the, this thing at the beginning that she was like, oh, don't touch Don't touch. touch. It. Yeah. To being like, I want you to have it, which is is pretty pretty huge gesture. Yeah. And so we're back in town loading the stage. Yeah, she's there back at the stagecoach, and Elizabeth is leaving, and they're getting packed up, and Sully actually comes to say goodbye to Elizabeth. He shakes her hand, which is... It's kind of fun, because she's wearing, like, these fancy, fancy gloves. Man hands. And then you have, like, Sully. <laughs> His got, savage like, hands. Know, hands. And she, um... <laughs> it's nice, though, that he comes and says goodbye and that's when Jake comes with his asking after Robert E. And let's be honest, Dr. Quinn is pretty good at guilt tripping Jake. Like, I, she doesn't really guilt trip anyone as much as she guilt trips Jake. And I guess it's probably because he deserves it a little bit, but he does ask after Robert E. And she tells him, you know, mm. you know, it would have, it would have meant more your show of concern if you had done it in front of everyone but that's all he's got for right now and you know he's right. glad that he's getting better <laughs> and uh lauren and elizabeth discuss the she i guess she uh elizabeth goes into the shop to buy some snacks which is like totes relatable um for her trip <laughs> i'm mostly laughing at the fact that um, you just said totes. he's like and she did a little peace sign you guys can't see but she did a little oh. peace sign and said totes 
Like, what? <laughs> what was that word? I don't know what I just... <laughs> I was going to say what, and then I was going to say why, and then I was like, whatever word just came out. We're so close to the end. We just need to <laughs> finish. But Lauren asks her, so you're going to take your daughter? And she's like, nope. She's too, too independent Which, and stubborn. <laughs> not wrong, but we also see probably who she got it from. And... It's funny because he's like, you know, if you ever come back around, let me know. <laughs> I'll show you. I'll show you the sights, is what he says. But he, he makes an interesting comment where he says, I think parents and children are, are destined to spend most of their life not seeing eye to eye. <laughs> Which I guess I think is, is, is pretty significant because this, this episode could have been this thing where, oh, all of a sudden Elizabeth sees... And I don't, they do it in a sort of way, but it could have been like, oh, I see that you're doing this wonderful thing here. I 100% support you. But it isn't totally that. Like, I think she leaves still wanting a different life for Michaela. Right. But I think there is this point of acceptance, like, this is what you've chosen, and therefore yeah. I'm going to love you through it. And it's it's kind of the next shot, because then we see... Michaela on the other side of the stagecoach when her mother's in there and she says like your father would be really proud of you and she's like and what about you mother which that is uh, to be honest I think the most risky question ever like (laughs) yes scary you what if she said no you would have left that (laughs) that whole encounter with disappointment but I guess maybe they both experienced some change I don't know yeah but I don't I don't think she actually says anything like she never actually is like yes i am so proud of you she hands her the envelope and says a doctor needs a clinic yeah which but it is huge and dr mike opens it and it's obviously the 1500 dollars that she needs to buy the boarding house or 500 the rest or five oh that's true it could have been 500 still a very substantial amount of money no matter how rich you are at this period in time but like i don't know just like so meaningful of of like I'm giving this to you to do this thing that I've literally said I don't support you doing, but it's cool. It's really cool. And then I just love the end because they're like <laughs> going on the stagecoach and, and Brian's like, bye, Mrs. Quinn. And she's like, you can call me grandma. And he's like, bye, grandma. And he's running. And the last shot, I don't care how corny it is. I don't care how fake their tears are. I really like it because Dr. Quinn has tears running down her face and they all run up and they're just there and they're a little family and I don't think it's it's fake. No, no, I'm just saying I didn't I thought you were going to be like it's so corny but like no. Her mother, she didn't she knows her mother. Would it have been nice if her mother would have said I believe in you, I support you, I'm proud of you? Yes. But she knew that that's not the kind of person her mother is, but her mother showed through her actions just a little bit that she has faith in in Dr. Mike by doing that and taking that leap of faith and I think it hits her in that moment you know and having her family and having her the grandma thing is just really yeah. sweet really sweet it is so favorite scene you already yeah I kind of said the scene with uh Elizabeth and Sully yeah I think my favorite scene is the scene where Dr. Mike kind of tells Colleen you know to keep fighting for her dreams even if it's in a man's world yeah because i think that that kind of attitude right is pretty i mean that that's what i think i mentioned it earlier like we we've seen her overcome all this stuff and how can she 
continue pushing on without giving up. And I think that's, that's the core of it is she has a dream and she's going to fight for it no matter what. Yeah. So we, do you remember what we, did we say the epidemic was better or worse than the pilot? We said it, we said the pilot was still the best. So number one and number two were ranked actually number one and number two. Okay. So So. I think, do you want me to tell you what I think? Yeah, I do. I think this one is is better than both. Really? Yeah, I like it. Better I thought than... you were gonna say better than episode two, but but better than the pilot. Yeah. What what pushed you over? I just I just really I think character wise and just um just like honestly like the whole theme of it of family and of relationships and of you know dreams and purpose like I just think it's powerful yeah what do you think I definitely agree with you're saying it like the themes the characters the converse like the the real life conversations they have even if it is about periods like I don't know I just liked it (laughs) um I still think I I like the pilot better I think the pilot's gonna stay pretty high in my mind for a while but just because it is longer, a lot happens, there's so much development, like... And I think that's why is, like, that one's so long and there's so much. Whereas I think this kind of one unfair, is less. It's kind of unfair, Is less, but I think it still has just as much of heart as... Yeah. It's true. So but where should I... we put it for our list? Oh, do we have to come to a consensus? Well, do you want to, or do you want to have separate lists? Um... I was kind of thinking we could give and Collaborate. Take. Yeah, sure. not not a lady. What do we what do we vote? I'll go with whatever you want, because I still think the pilot is good too. So I can I mean, concede to we you. We can either or... put we can either put episode three as number one or number two. I would say, you can. Yeah. Decide. So you no you pick. <laughs> I'm letting you pick. Uh, it's hard because I like the point that you said of like there were still just as mu- many good things in this episode in like half the time. Um, I think we can keep. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Why is this so stressful? All right. Let's keep pilot number one. We'll okay. move this. We'll move the visitor up to spot number two. And the epidemic will be in third place. Yes. But guys, make sure you stay tuned because this could very easily change next week and onward. And I would actually be interested to hear what you guys, like, what your ranking is because yeah. we do differ right now. Um, so do you agree with me or do you agree with her? Definitely give us comment and give us your thoughts on the episode. If you're a boy, do boys get asked about being married? (laughs) We had a long discussion about that. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Not a Lady, a Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman podcast. If you like this episode, you can support us by liking or sharing our content on social media. Feel free to write in and give us your thoughts on our website, www.notaladypodcast.com. Dot weebly.com or on our Twitter or Instagram page. Both are at Not A Lady Podcast. We really look forward to hearing from you. And make sure to tune in for our next episode, The Law of the Land, which has a very special guest feature, Johnny Cash. Yeah, we'll, we'll see you guys in the next one. Thanks for joining us. See ya.